0: Last week, I shared, um, I never thought about it like this, but last week, as I watched a lot of TV when I was younger, a lot of shows in the 80s were about family, right? There like things like different strokes, family ties, growing pains, married with children. You can go on and on. A lot of shows about family. And as I was looking at today's passage, you know the thing I realized in the movie theaters back in the 80s, it focused a lot on spiritual things. And what I mean by spiritual things is it had scary movies like Poltergeist, right? It had like Exorcist, which I think might be a little bit older, like in the 70s, but it bled into the 80s. And then it even had like lighter stuff, but still like things like Ghostbusters, right? The movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze and Demi Demi Moore. And then um, also the Ouija board, even board games, right? Because people were so into this. These days spiritual matters, it doesn't seem as popular as it did back then. Not nearly as much as, as, it, as back in the 80s. There's not many games that are like Ouija board. It's not selling as much. And even in the church, you don't really hear too many messages about spiritual things. And it makes me sad because it's not that I'm into horror movies or ghosts and goblins. But if you look at the Bible, it can be argued from Genesis to Revelation, everything is about spiritual stuff. Everything is about the spiritual battle. And that's why Paul, when he ends the letter to the Ephesians, he's talking about Christian living, but it's not just about Christian living. It's not just about the practical things like marriage or children but the things behind it, the spiritual war going on behind it. And that's why if we really want to understand the book of Ephesians, we need to understand it's a spiritual warfare. And so this morning, what I'd like us to see as we finish up the book is Paul's concern for the spiritual warfare that all of us, not just pastors, not just elders, all of us in this room were a part of this spiritual warfare. And so, how do we get ready for it? How do we equip ourselves for it? And there's at least three things I want us to see in today's passage. The first thing is to understand the nature of the battle that we're in. The second thing is to understand or see the armor that God has given us. And last thing I want us to see the secret. Offensive weapon that God has given us. So most of the armor we're going to see is like a defensive thing, right? The armor that protects us. But there's a secret offensive weapon that Paul talks about at the end. And so first, to learn about the spiritual warfare that we're in, what's the nature? What's the battle about? Now, speaking about movies, uh, I know Oscars was last week too. But personally, I, I think... One of the greatest movies, most of the eye-opening when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is like pretty crazy, you know, of all time, I think, is the movie Matrix. Now, if you've never seen this movie, The Matrix, it's obviously a fictional movie about this time where machines have taken over the world, right? And the story goes that even though they took over and they could probably kill and wipe out all the humans, they have to keep them alive. They need the the body heat, the energy that humans, they they suck it out of them, they need it to stay alive. And so they trick humans to think everything's okay, right? The simulated world where everything seems okay, it's called the matrix, but the truth is, the world behind that world, the truth is, their brains have these attachments and they're sucking the energy out of them. That's their true uh, situation. Now the movie gets interesting because every now and then humans will break away from these things and they're like, what's going on? And although the machines are trying to gather them back, those who broke away, the humans who got away, they're trying to teach the rest of, free rest of humanity and to teach them the reality is these machines are trying to control us, to completely take over. I share this because when we ask what kind of warfare are we in, we need to remember it's not just this physical world, but there's a spiritual battle that's going on. Paul tells us this, right? You look in scripture, it's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. It's against authorities. It's against cosmic powers. It's against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And so if we, again, we want to understand Ephesians, Paul's been talking about this this the whole time, and that's why the very beginning, it starts off with the word finally. Why does Paul say finally? What, What do you mean, Paul, finally? And if you go back to chapter one, Paul is talking about this divine relationship between us and God, this spiritual relationship right, between us and God, and he loves us so much. That's chapter one and two. All the theology behind that. Chapter uh, 3 and 4, it talks about spiritual maturity, spiritual unity. What does that look like? What does spiritual mean to be, we can be 90 years old, but 90 years old with the faith of a two-year-old. So what does spiritual maturity look like? And in the very end, Paul uh, drives out, okay, this is God's love, this is what it means to be spiritual and mature. How do we live out our faith spiritually? in our marriages, in our families, raising our children. How do we do this spiritually? And so friends, everything, if this is God's will, this is how we should live spiritually. And Paul's laying all of this out. And obviously Satan's going to be against everything that's been said. There's going to be a conflict. There's going to be struggle between what God wants, what Satan's trying to do, and where we stand in between, right? That's the war that Paul's talking about. Now you might be thinking, no duh, Pastor Tom, spiritual warfare is spiritual, I know that, right? I'm not a dummy. But the thing is, the thing I think that all of us often forget or often we get fooled with is that often we become like people that we're living in this matrix, right? Do we really believe that there's a spiritual war raging on behind the scenes. Even now as we worship, that Satan wants you to look at your phone, to fool around, and to like, not pay attention to God's word. That when we go to work, when we go to school, when we in our homes raising our children, Satan is looking for ways to pull a thread to pull us apart. Do we believe that's really going on? Do we really believe that the war that we're in, it's not as simple as marching in with guns and uh, with tanks and things like that? America, we're the strongest country in the world. I have confidence, anyone tries to fight us, we are going to beat them down with our tanks, our airplanes, our soldiers, we're going to win. But it's not that easy. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Our enemy is invisible. Do we know how powerful he is, how deceptive he is, how wicked he is, never showing mercy? Even the worst person in the world, I believe, they will think a split second about what they're going to do before they do it, but the devil has no thought at all. His desire, it gives him joy to be ruthlessly evil. Do we remember that? Do we think of Satan like that? Do we know our place in the war? And so if that is the case, that we are unequal to the battle, that means on our own, we got no shot, guys. We have no chance as humans in a spiritual war by ourselves. By ourselves, compared to Satan, we are not strong enough. We are not smart enough. Our technology is not good enough. How in the world do you shoot and kill an enemy that's invisible? How can we do that? And so what we really understand is the nature and the intensity of the spiritual warfare that we're in. Do we really understand that? Or are we living like people in the matrix? Almost blind. Almost not caring. Just eating a piece of steak. We know it's not real, but it's okay, right? Do we know that our true nature and the war that's going around us and that's the thing that Paul wants to say, wake up. This is reality. And if we do really believe in the spiritual warfare, what are we doing? How do we protect ourselves? What should we, how should we be living? And that's what Paul wants to address next. Not only that we're in a spiritual warfare, but he tells us that we need to put on the armor of God. You know, every time I read this part of Ephesians, I always think about the time when I read uh, the David and Goliath story with my children and uh, this one Jesus story Bible with, uh, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And I'm going to read you uh, a little snippet and an abbreviated version of when she talks about, you know, the passage with David and Goliath. And she writes this, God's people had some scary enemies, but the Philistines and Goliath was the scariest of them all. He was so strong, he was so tall, and he was so scary. No one had ever been able to fight him and, tell, and live to tell about it. Every day Goliath would come out and shout, send your best soldier. If he beats me, we will be your slaves. But if I beat him, you have to be my slave. And so Sally Jones writes, in, you know, according to the Bible, all of God's people froze looking at Goliath. Except one young boy, his name was David, Jesse's youngest son. He said, don't be afraid. I'll go and fight him for us. And check out this part. This is the part that reminds me of Ephesians. So the king put on his royal armor on him. The breastplate, the helmet, the shield, and the sword, the physical armor... And yet it was too big for David. So he took only a sling and a couple of stones. And so when, David saw the, uh, so when Goliath saw young David, he said, You? A small boy? And David shouted, I'm little, but God is great. Goliath laughed, ha ha ha, right? David continued, it isn't how strong you are, or how many swords and spears you have, it is God who saves. This is God's battle, and God always wins his battles. And we know how the story ends. In our passage, it reminds me of David and Glide's story, because you know what James Boyce also once said? James Boyce used to be a pastor over at 10th Press, the b- biggest uh, PCA church right now in Philly, right? He said, Yes. The only armor and weapon that we see in this story can be, is a, a sling that we physically can see. But the spiritual reality is David went out with the full armor of God. If there was ever a man clothed in God's truth, God's righteousness, God's peace, God's faith, God's salvation, God's armor was definitely on David. And it was not only on for the physical battle, but more important, the spiritual battle that was going on behind the scenes. And so friends, like David, if we're completely overmatched by Satan, and we looked at the nature, if we're completely overmatched, we're humans going against the devils. What are we going to do to protect ourselves? Do we just put on the best physical armor that we can find around us? No. No. Spiritual battles are not won by physical, superior physical weapons. Spiritual battles are won by the spirit, the armor of God. And so real quickly, I'm going to touch on each of the armor of God and what that means. And the first thing scripture tells us is that to put on the belt of truth, a belt of truth. Now, when you think about it, and as I was studying this, I was thinking, you know what? A belt is the last thing I want going into war. What the heck do you need a belt for? But the more you think about it, a belt is so important, right? I don't know about you guys, but I wear a belt every day. Whether it's an everyday belt, whether it's you go weightlifting and you know you wear that belt and what that means, or if it's a belt that you wear into war, a belt is important because it keeps everything tight, it keeps everything together, right? In the same way, if we have the belt of truth on, the belt of truth, no matter how crazy our life gets, no matter how crazy the spiritual battle is, we can walk around with confidence knowing that God will hold everything together, that the truths that God talks about, it doesn't make sense to us, but if we have the belt of truth on, everything does make sense, or we can trust that everything will work together. Second, Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplates are nice because if you think about going into war, this is what I would want out of all the things, right? If I I was a police officer and I always wanted to be one, I think it's from watching all those gangster movies, right? That I always wanted to be a police officer. I would always wear my bulletproof vest. Now, a breastplate of righteousness, you know what that means. It's uh, actually the idea of being declared righteous is more of like a legal term. So when you go into court, people will throw accusations at you, people will attack you because they want to win the court battle, right? But when you're the breastplate of righteousness, what Paul is telling us is no matter what accusations Satan throws at you, how can you accept this guy into heaven? I know what he's thinking. He never pays attention at Sunday, right? He has some lustful, evil thoughts. This woman, you don't even want to know how much she talks about other people. Satan will throw these insults and hurl these things at us, these accusations. And yet, if we have the breastplate of righteousness on, it will protect us. No matter what Satan says, we will be seen as righteous. The thing... Third thing Paul talks about is the shoes of readiness or the shoes of the gospel. And again, similar to the belt, I was like, who cares about what shoes you have on? Like, Who cares if you have Doc Martens or whatever, Vapor Max? Why is that so important in battle? But if you think about it, it really is. You ask any soldier, what is one really important thing you need to have when you go into war? And many of them will say, you need a good pair of boots. Because once your feet go, Everything else goes, right? If you have like bad shoes or you don't have any shoes and you walk into swamps and you, your feet get cut up and you, parasites and mold, are growing all over your feet, you can't go into war. You're done. In the same way, if we, our feet are not the feet of readiness or the feet ready to share the gospel, if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves or we're not ready to share it with people, when we go into battle, our lives will not be filled with peace, but it will be filled with people who are spiritually crippled and people that are dying around us rather than bringing peace if we're not ready. The fourth thing our passage tells us is to put on the shield of faith. When I was younger, I always thought shields were lame. Why do you need a shield? Just be really good at sword fighting. That's all you need, right? But the more movies I watch with, like, um, Lord of the Rings or, or Braveheart or 300, I realize how important shields are. Because one, a lot of these, uh, not these, the short round ones, but these long ones like this, it's long because it almost covers your whole body. But two, if you watch those movies, you know as a group, when you use your shield, it acts like a tank, side by side, and you start marching forward. Some, some on top, so the, arch, the arrows that try to attack you, it cannot get through that. In the same way, friends, what it's saying here is if we have the shield of faith, not only will it protect your body, but it's faith that really connects us to one another. How am I related to any of you? You are my brothers and sisters because of my faith. And I tell you, if we are unified like this, and we use our shields together, no matter what Satan tries to do to attack our church or to tear us apart, it's our shield of faith together that will protect our church. And the last thing I want to share is the helmet of salvation. If you know me, I hate wearing hats, I hate wearing helmets. I went skiing this past weekend with a bunch of families from Fort Washington. Everyone's wearing the helmet. I was like, not me, man. I can't wear a helmet, you know? Helmets, it gives you hat hair. You look dumb. If you have a round face like mine, it looks even more round, you know? So I just felt so dumb wearing a helmet. But if I go into war, you better believe I'm putting a helmet on. (laughs) One headshot, game over, right? You can take a shot to your legs, take a shot to your arm, shoulder, you'll, be, you'll, you'll, you'll make it hopefully, right? But if you take it to the head, there's no coming back. And that's what they're saying here in the helmet of salvation, why it's so important. If you don't have a helmet of salvation, if you're not sure of your faith, if you're not sure that you're going to see God face to face, that's a major foothold of Satan. The battle's almost over if he has already taken a shot to your head and to the south to think if you're saved or not saved. And if we're defeated mentally, if we're shot in the head, we're defeated mentally, our hope is stripped away and we're almost as good as dead spiritually if you don't have salvation, right? And so, friends, in this overmatched spiritual battle that we're in against our own Goliath, What's going to save us? Our money? Our guns? Our our sheer willpower? No way. Paul tells us, like David, it's not a physical armor that's going to save you, but a spiritual armor, the armor of God. The last thing I want to share is not only the nature of the battle, not only uh, the armor that we have, but the secret weapon that Paul talks about. You know, out of all the battles in the Bible, there's a lot, right? There's there's the Israelites fighting the uh, Egyptians and the Big Red Sea. Then there's Joshua and the Battle of the Jericho. Remember the walls come tumbling down? They're fighting the Moabites, the Midianites, the Malachites. They're constantly fighting people out of all the battles, my favorite one that I, whenever I read is the one in 2 Kings 6. And the story goes like this. In 2 Kings 6, the Israelites are fighting the Syrians. And you got to think about the Syrians being the toughest, baddest army of all during this time period. They're so much stronger. And every time the Israelites uh, or the Syrians have the Israelites, their backs against the wall, God shows the prophet Elijah a way out, and the Israelites escape. This frustrates the king of Syria so much. He says, you know what? I'm going to stop this nonsense. I'm going to go and kill Elijah that's, that's getting all these visions from God, and we're going to finally win the war. And so what the Bible tells us is one of Elijah's servants... As he's going out to fetch some water, I guess, I I don't think it tells us what he's doing exactly, but as he goes outside, he sees completely surrounded, right, completely surrounded down here. If you look here, all the soldiers and chariots and horses and spears, and he's freaking out. And he's like, master, master, we're completely surrounded. What are we gonna do? And so all calm and cool, Elijah says, Don't worry. He does two things. First thing is, he shares a biblical truth and he says, Don't worry. The armies that they have, they're not strong. They're not as strong as the army that we have. And then Elijah prays and says, God, would you open his eyes? And so the servant, God, the spirit opens his eyes and he looks and he sees God's army that's with him. And it gives him this incredible confidence, incredible courage because of the spiritual army that's backing him. And I want to remind us of this story because as we battle, as we partake in the spiritual battle, what's our secret weapon? And it's the same exact thing that Elijah had. It's God's spirit. And we know this because when you look in here, it says, what's our one offensive weapon we have? The sword of the Spirit being God's word, God's promise. Remember Elijah said, don't worry, our army's stronger than theirs. Not only that, but it says the Spirit, just like Elijah prays, Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit, right? That is our weapon. That's our secret weapon. God's Spirit. And this is important because it's not just a matter of playing defense right and if we play defense and we play our shield then maybe and we say satan would you just go away he's not gonna go away but he will run if we whip out our sword of the spirit because there's nothing more powerful than god's word and prayer now you might be thinking pastor tom this sounds all fine and dandy but many times I don't feel like this. I don't feel protected with the armor of God. I don't feel like when I read and when I pray, it doesn't feel like a lifesaver, this strong sword. It feels like this little like, pencil that I have right, going into war. But brothers and sisters, when we feel that way, let me first of all say, when we feel that way, that in itself is spiritual warfare. That's what Satan wants you to think. Satan's schemes has never changed since the beginning of time. If you go back to Adam and Eve, what's his way of tricking them? To make you doubt God's love. And he wants you to doubt his armor. He wants us to doubt his spirit. But second, we also need to see that feeling when we feel like we don't have a strong armor. It's not because there's a problem with the armor. The problem is really with us our desire to put on the armor, our desire to read God's word and to pray. And that's why at the very end, the spirit is not only important because is it, is it the word of God and it tells us to pray, but it's only with the spirit. If you look at the very end, it's not a matter of just keeping our armor on all the time, but, or asking for more of the armor, I should say. But if you look at the very end, it says pray for each other's hearts. So you'll have a desire to put on the armor of God. That you would love God and it would drive you to act in faith. Friends, that's actually the big secret. The spirit that moves our hearts. When we pray and the spirit moves our hearts and we realize that when we look to the cross and we ask ourselves, why did Jesus, why does the Bible tell us he was naked? Why was he beaten? Why was he mocked? Why was he spit on? And to realize, if the spirit is in our hearts, we're going to realize Jesus was naked because he took off his armor. He took off his breastplate to put it on us. So when we go to court, you know why we're declared righteous? Not because we lived a good life. Because Jesus on the cross makes us righteous. And no one can hurl insults at us. It's only when we pray and the Spirit moves in our hearts we begin to realize why did Jesus ever take off his helmet? Why did he trade it for a crown of thorns? And the only reason if we, the Spirit moves in our hearts we will realize Jesus did that in order to give us the helmet of salvation. So we will know no matter what we will never lose our place in heaven. And at the very end You know, the key is that when we pray, the Spirit will move in our hearts, not only get what Jesus did on the cross, but why he did it. Remember earlier in Ephesians, it tells us we need to taste the breath, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love. If God's Spirit moves in our hearts, we will realize how much he loves us. That is God's secret weapon. And if we can only realize that, I tell you, brothers and sisters, no matter how hard this life is, no matter how painful it is, if the Spirit would just move in our hearts to realize His love for us, we will will be more than happy and more than glad to put on that armor and say, send me, I will go into that battle. If we would only realize His love. If you're a Christian, let me end with this. One thing. When we go into battle physically, right? And think about any battle. Any battle we go into physically, we never go in alone. Army is always sent with our fellow citizens side by side. But for some reason, when we go into spiritual battles, the temptation is to think we're in it alone. As if we're in it by ourselves. But brothers and sisters, this should not be. This is not the truth. But we're in it together as a church. And we know this because, again, you look at the final words. And it tells us, Paul is telling us, he's going to send Tychicus for encouragement. Even Paul himself expresses his love for the Ephesians. And so the secret is not just a matter of understanding God's love. But for us to love one another well and to support each other well, then we will find power to fight the good fight and the courage to continue. So Grace Point, the hard question I want to ask us is, are we being loving? Are we being supporting of each other as we're in the spiritual battle together? Or are we being cold and are we being calloused? And are we being so discouraged that many of us We feel so alienated and we feel like we're in this war ourselves. Which camp are we in? And I pray, brothers and sisters, if we understand the reality of this war that we're in and how crazy it is and how the intensity of it is, that we would understand that we need each other. And God put us with each other to help us with one another, to fight side by side And say, brother, let's keep going on. If you're not a Christian, you know, no matter how strong and awesome the armor is, it's useless. I can bring the best gun in the world and lay it here, but if you don't go into battle, if you don't choose to go into the battle, it's useless, right? In the same way, all this talk about God's armor and God's love, it has no effect unless you turn to God first. And so if you're not a Christian, would you come to Jesus? And if you do, he promises not merely to supplement your strength. He's not going to say, oh you're this strong, let me fill the rest of your uh, strength energy bar. He doesn't just supplement our strength, he says, I will be your strength. I will be your hope. And I tell you, if you turn to Jesus, he will equip you for a spiritual battle. Not just for battle, but He will equip you for victory in the, in the spiritual battle.